0: Friends and welcome on into episode 59 of the Skill Show. I'm Mark Schofield back with you yet again. Three shows already this week. And it's only Tuesday. That's how you know it's a big week. And it is a big week because let's face it, the Patriots have a playoff game this week. And so we're gonna do it upright. Today, we're gonna talk about Ryan Tannehill. Took a look at how he's played for the Titans this year, gonna put him under the film microscope a bit, talk about what he does well, what teams have tried to do against them. what has sort of been successful against them? how I think, again, this matchup's not giving me quite the warm and fuzzies I would hope for New England's first playoff game of the season, hopefully not their last. We're also going to talk a little bit about Black Monday, some moves that were made by NFL teams and organizations over the past 24 hours or so. But before we do any of that, your usual reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work in places like Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, where in addition to a video on Joe Burrow that went up this week, you will look for sometime this week the 2020 Interception Project. I'm bringing it back after a year off, where I look at all the interceptions thrown by various draft prospects. We'll kick it off with the aforementioned Joe Burrow, so you can look for that. breaking down his six interceptions this season. Also, you can check out the work in places like Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here, Pat's Pulpit. Yes, that holy trinity of SB Nation websites. Let's get into today's show. We'll start with sort of the Black Monday stuff. And some surprises, some of them probably weren't surprises. Cleveland, for example, Freddie Kitchens is out. And, you know, maybe at some point when this season is over, I'll take some time and sort of revisit some of my preseason thoughts. I loved the Kitchens hire. I bought into it. I thought the job that he did down the stretch last year with Baker Mayfield was more than enough to get him that gig. You know, it's a situation where in today's NFL, if you got the young quarterback, you got to put what you need to around him. It didn't work, and when you see the behavior of some of the Cleveland players down the stretch, guys like Odell and Landry going to the other sideline, saying, come get me, and things like that. You get the sense that Kitchens lost this locker room pretty quickly. In Dallas, who knows? Recording this one on, on Monday night. There's supposed to be more meetings on Tuesday. Maybe we'll get some clarification on the Dallas situation by the time this podcast is out. Maybe you're listening to it with the news that Garrett is gone, Garrett is not. There were tweets today that... You know, their entire coaching staff has been fired. That was from Mike Leslie from WFAA down in Dallas. But no clarification yet. There is clarification for another NFC East team, Pat Shermer. He is out after a couple of seasons, two seasons, 9-23 with the New York Giants. Giants now looking at their third head coach in five years. Not a great situation. As you might expect, Bill Callahan is not going to be the answer in Washington. It does look like it is going to be Ron Rivera. Michael Silver tweeted out on Monday, Ron Rivera and his wife Stephanie are on a flight to Northern Virginia. He should be the next coach of the Redskins within the next three hours. As of recording this episode, that has not happened. But what we do know is this, Rivera is out to dinner in the D.C. area, apparently with Dan Snyder and, yes, former President Barack Obama. Now, that might be a bit of a head-scratcher to some, Obama being a Bears fan and all. But when Ron Rivera was in Chicago, there you go. And what was interesting about that, I remember being on a flight from Charlotte to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And I was basically on a flight with the Panthers front office and coaching staff. It was a Tuesday morning of a senior bowl a couple years ago. And sitting five, six rows in front of me is Ron Rivera. And he's reading the book about Teddy Roosevelt by Doris Kearns Goodwin, which was fascinating to me. Seems to be a man of history. And, hey, you know, if you're Dan Snyder, you know, you're putting the full court press on a guy and you, get the word that he likes history and was formerly with the Bears, Barack Obama isn't a bad dinner guest to bring along. And so we'll wait for confirmation on whether Rivera is, entire, is indeed going to be the new head coach in Washington. A bit of a stutter coming from Miami. Chad O'Shea, offensive coordinator for the Dolphins, has been let go. This came out late Monday afternoon, and I did sort of want to end on this one because my thought, a thought immediately shared by many, was this. How quickly can he get up to New England? Obviously, Chad O'Shea was formerly the wide receiver coach for the Patriots under Josh McDaniels. He was also in charge of their red zone Offense, And given the past year, given the past season, how this offense has played, it would make sense to me and perhaps to you and others that you would at least want to consult with Chad O'Shea and see if you could get him in to help out with this playoff run. Because he can certainly help in the wide receiver room. He can certainly help with the red zone offense, which we know has been lacking. And in a sense, it's very reminiscent of 2011, right? When they brought on Josh McDaniels after he had been let go, brought him on to sort of consult, help out Bill O'Brien. And here's that situation sort of playing out again. And part of the reason that, for example, Joe Marino from the Draft Network tweeted this out, and it makes a ton of sense There's speculation that Josh McDaniels is going to get a gig. Apparently, he's in the running at least for the Cleveland spot. There's speculation linking him to Baker Mayfield, dating back to Mayfield's draft process when Mayfield didn't even want to take the time to meet with the Patriots, but McDaniels convinced him. He said, look, we might try to trade up and get you. McDaniels, a huge fan of Baker Mayfield. And so there's also speculation that If McDaniels goes and takes the Cleveland gig or wherever he goes, it's highly likely that he's going to take somebody from that Dolphins staff with him to be his offensive coordinator. Szaplinski, their quarterback coach. And so to prevent that, Miami lets O'Shea go, giving the quarterback coach, Look, you're going to be the offensive coordinator now. That's a, a step up for you. You don't have to move the family. You don't have to. If you want to be an offensive coordinator, you won't have to go to Cleveland. You don't want to have to follow Josh McDaniels. You could stay here. And if that's the case, if it's not the case, it doesn't matter. Patriots have a chance to grab Chad O'Shea right now. Get him in the building. Why? Because if McDaniels does leave, now you got a chance to hire your new offensive coordinator who's pretty familiar with what you do. And another reason why you probably want to sit down with Chad O'Shea is just to pick his brain about their game plan against the Patriots last week. Because, look, Miami had a good game plan, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes here when we start talking about Ryan Tannehill. But they had a great game plan. They exploited what New England was doing. They worked it to perfection, and it got them a W. And if you're going up a t- against a team in Miami that might borrow from that game plan, as we'll see in a few minutes, you might want to be ready for it. So I think the Patriots would be wise to at least get on the phone with Chad O'Shea and start picking his brain. If not, you know, fly Craft Force One down there and get him up to New England as quickly as possible. Because it's going to be a week, my friend. Speaking of which, Ryan Tannehill. The good, the bad, the ugly, all that fun stuff. That is next here in episode 59 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 59 of the Sco Show, and we're going to talk Ryan Tannehill in a second. But I did want to drop in a bit of a personal note, and I didn't want to do it at the end of the show because I can see the metrics. I see how when you get to the final minutes, the numbers nosedive. Most of you don't even stay for the tagline, which in case you've missed it before, it's keep on blessing the Patriots' rain down in Foxborough. It's a good tagline. But on a bit of a personal note, I've I've mentioned this guy before, Coach Vass, at Coach Vass on Twitter. He's the host of the Make Defense Great Again podcast. Really smart football mind. He he took the time with myself and some others a couple weeks ago, put on a little coaching clinic talking about coverages and how to identify them and things like that, cover seven, all sorts of fun Rip Liz type stuff, super nerdy football stuff. Spent like three hours with us. It was fantastic. You know, they just, you know, he's a great human being, and he had a bit of a bit of bad luck. His mom passed away after a, a short struggle with cancer. And Coach Vass at Coach Vass on Twitter, he's out in California. His mom in Florida, so he's been trying to deal with this for a while now, from three thousand miles away. But he was been in Florida for the past couple of weeks now, um, trying to help. At the end obviously there for the funeral and everything and now he's in a tough financial position as a result and he's started a friend of his had started to go fund me I've tweeted it out you can go to his Twitter at coach vast and you can see it if you can't give anything just retweet it yourself or drop it on a Facebook page or share it tell some people about it it's one of those situations where if you can't give financially look it's the holiday season it's the end of the year a lot of people are strapped for money right now I get it but if you can like retweet it or put it on your Facebook page or throw it on a LinkedIn page even just sharing it out gets more eyeballs on it so if you can't give financially that's more than understandable but maybe somebody else could and if you can't give that's fantastic and if you can't that's fantastic too you know just one of those things that he's a very good guy I know him personally now and try to do my bit to help him out. So if you could just even just retweet it, that would be fantastic. Let's talk Ryan Tannehill here for a second. And I want to start with numbers. Getting my script here. That's right. I got a script for this one. Most shows, I just win it. But I got some notes here. I want to make sure I hit some stuff. We'll start with pro football frac- focus because, Holy. We got some things to worry about. Let's start with deep passing, all right? And say what you want about Pro Football Focus and their grades and things like that. I always think some of their charting data is is really the the best work that they do. You know, for example, their deep passing numbers, passing attempts of twenty yards or more downfield, where they chart all that stuff out. And I can tell you that this season, Tannehill. 335 dropbacks, 286 attempts, that's his overall numbers, 37 deep attempts, 14 of those completed, no drops, 544 yards, 3 touchdowns, no interceptions. His deep percentage, i.e. how many of his throws are deep by percentage, is 12.9, which lower than some. Much lower than, say, Russell Wilson, who's 16.5, who, let me just do that click. Second most in the league. Matthew Stafford was most in the league, 19.6. So in terms of a ranking there, he's kind of middle of the pack, 16th in the league. Now, NFL passer rating on throws over 20 yards. Your leaders in the NFL this season. Gardner Minshew, 129. Patrick Mahomes, 122.9, Kirk Cousins, 119.7, Russell Wilson, 119.2, Ryan Tannehill, 112.7. And look, NFL passer rating, passer rating, it's not the best statistic, but it's a measure. In terms of the adjusted completion percentage, that's where they sort of strip away, you know, Drops and things like that, it's uh, identif- It's defined by Pro Football Focus as the percentage of aimed passes thrown on target. Completions plus drops divided by aimed. Something like that. And his completion percentage on these deep throws this year was 12.9. Actually, no, I got that wrong. He's adjusted completion percentage. which is only 25th in the league. And so it's not like he's been let down by drops or things like that. So the D-pass and stuff, while the passer rated is good, the adjusted completion percentage, lower tiers, 25th in the league. Let's talk play action, though. Because we talked about Derrick Henry yesterday, Well, it's important to highlight that because of Derrick Henry, they've had success with play action. And I know you don't need to have a great running game to be successful on play action. But they are successful on play action and they have a good running game. And part of the way the PFF shows that is they show you your adjusted completion completion percentage on play action plays versus non-play action plays. And Ryan Tannehill gets a jump, a boost of 9.2% in his completion percentage when they use play-action, which is the fifth biggest jump in the league. Only Gardner Minshew, Eli Manning, Baker Mayfield, and Teddy Bridgewater saw bigger jumps. And on play-action throws this year, 66 of 86 for nine touchdowns, two interceptions. An even bigger difference is his yards per attempt on play action versus non-play action plays. Interestingly enough, Marcus Mariota actually had the biggest jump in yards per attempt from play action to non-play action plays. But second, Bridgewater. Third, Tannehill. A difference in 5.7 yards per attempt when they use play action. And Tannehill's 13.5 yards per attempt on play action passes this year tops in the league. And if you just want to look at straight adjusted completion percentage, this is what, again, we were talking about. As PFF defines it, it accounts for factors that hurt the passers' completion percentage but don't help show how accurate they are. Completions plus drops divided by attempts minus throwaways minus spikes minus batted passes minus hit as you're thrown. Tannehill's adjusted completion percentage is 76.2%, eighth best in the league. He's going to pose some problems. And conceptually, they do a lot of different things. Watched his game against all the way back to Carolina. Watched games against the Texans, you know, this week and a couple weeks ago. Game against the Raiders. Game against the Saints. They do a lot of different things. They'll do some boot stuff with him and take advantage of his legs. They'll do a lot of stuff attacking the middle of the field. A lot of levels concepts. A lot of digs. Lot, they like going a lot of backside dig stuff. They will do some vertical concepts and pair it with a shallow route where they went three verts out of a trip's look to the right and they had a nub tight end to the left and they just run them on a shallow crosser. And then you've got the three verticals to stretch the defense vertically and the shallow crosser underneath. The touchdown throw, the 91-yard touchdown to A.J. Brown, that 91-yard post route that I was talking about in yesterday's show, Play action play, pressure in his face makes a great throw. A play, one of many actually, that scared me a play against Oakland where they go max protection. You have a post route and a shallow route underneath it. You've got eight guys in the protection scheme. He gets pressured, he beats the coverage with his legs. He sure to get sacked for a loss of six, turns it into a gain of ten. Similar to discussions I had two years ago before the AFC Championship game against the Jacksonville Jaguars and Blake Bortles, if he sees man coverage, if he sees the backs of those defenders, he has no problem tucking and running. And it's not a situation where you feel like you need to spy him, but you almost want to. And again, that gets you into the how you're going to have your run fits against Derrick Henry. Another thing to be worried about. The fullback. Look, they use... I mentioned sort of in the Derrick Henry portion how they do a lot of fullback lead stuff, zone lead, things like that. Well, look, Kahari game, They use him... In the past game as well, they had some really interesting designs. They do the typical, like you see from San Francisco and other teams, where they sh- show run fake and then they'll leak them along the sideline. They do that with Kyle Juszczyk a lot. But they had a really interesting design. And I actually tweeted this out. You can go to my timeline at Mark Schofield on Twitter, where they showed run fake. Everything was like going to the left, including the fullback Bosnian game. And then he like cuts back and runs to the flat in the right. And so they, they show this fake to the left. Tannehill boots back to the right. The fullback starts left, and then comes to the right. They set up what looks to be a screen to the left, like a throwback screen, but he's just thrown to the flat, to the tight end. I mean, it's a designed cutback throw to the tight end. And so with all the things you got to worry about, you don't have to worry about the fullback in the passing game. You have to worry about Tannehill and his legs. And I tried to find some good news. I looked at his six interceptions this season, studied all of them, and there's really not a lot to take away from it. You know, you look at the six interceptions he threw, and it's, you know, one of them was in the, at the end of the game against Denver where it's fourth and 11 with 135 left, and you're down 16. He gets pressured. He just throws up a YOLO prayer into the end zone and gets picked. Not, not too much you can learn from that. Week seven against the Chargers on a first and ten at the 717 mark the third quarter in a 10-10 game. They go play action with double digs again, working that middle of the field. He gets hit as he's throwing. It's intercepted. He had two picks against Carolina. First was in the second quarter at 9.58. On a second and nine, it's a 3 nothing game. They go play action again. There's that play action element. Backside, bend, eight, post route. The throw is just high, tipped, and intercepted. Again, you can't learn too much from that. He just misses on the throw. And then later in the game, they run seams out of the slot versus a too high look. He tries to fit it in before that safety. He leaves the throw too far inside. Safety makes an interception, so he misses on throws. It's not a scheme thing or anything like that. Interception against the Raiders in the red zone. You're thinking maybe we're going to learn something here. It's just a tunnel screen. The defensive end gets his hands up, tips it, intercepted. And then week 15 against Houston, slant route in the red zone on the goal line, drills it into the guy's belly, linebacker pops him, ball squirts into the air, and it's intercepted. So going through the interceptions, there's not much you can really gleam from what he's done. And what even makes me even more scared. Watching their game against Oakland, I was having flashbacks to what Chad O'Shea did to the Patriots. Why? Miami's game, I mean, Oakland's game plan was very similar to what the Patriots did to Miami. They would try to get pressure on Tannehill by sort of mugging the A-gaps and bringing pressure. And that's great if you get there, but if you don't, what does that leave you exposed to? It leaves you exposed to quick in-cuts, crossers, shallows, slants, because there's nobody in the middle of the field to help. And think back to Sunday. What did we see the Dolphins do? They were running those over and over and over again. Evan Lazar pointed it out on Twitter, and it's a great point. Chad O'Shea just kept coming to those because New England would bring pressure, would mug those A-gaps, bring A-gap pressure, try to get pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick, but there's nobody in the middle of the field. You don't have a hole defender or a rat defender or anybody to reroute those, to get into those throwing lanes, and all you've got to do is get a step of inside leverage, and that's an easy completion and an easy throw and catch for the quarterback and receiver. And so you piece this all together and... There's not a lot of good news. Now, if you study his game against Carolina, which was probably his worst game of the season, they did get home with blitzes. They got home with some creative stuff, and they got home with sometimes just winning some one on one matchup. Dontari Poe beat the center for a sack, Tannehill didn't have a chance. They had a double tech stunt where they got a sack by the right end, looping into the A-gap that worked. Both the right guard and the right tackle just didn't change, didn't pass off that stunt well at all. So that led to a sack. You had a late linebacker blitz on a play-action play, like a late blitz, green dog type thing, and that created a situation where linebacker was untouched and it led to a sack, and that probably led to his poor performance, his worst game of the season. But you're going to have to get home against him. And if you get shots at him, you're going to have to get him to the ground because he's athletic enough to make plays with his legs and he's not afraid of tucking and running. And so I don't want to say that I'm really, really, really terrified of this game sitting here, you know, late on a Monday night. But the more and more I watch this Titans offense, the less and less confident I feel about this game. This Titans offense seems to have the recipe for beating a Belichick defense from what we've seen over the past couple of seasons and including this season. A quarterback with some mobility, a running back in a running game that can sort of grind the ball, grind the game out a bit. And in A.J. Brown, they've got a guy that can make some plays against you. They've got some tight ends and a fullback that can certainly make some plays against Patrick Chun and the linebackers. I'm getting a very sort of Kubiak-esque vibe to this offense. And we all know those Kubiak-Ravens offenses that gave the Patriots fits. That's the vibe I'm getting right now. Now, I'll have more to say about this game as we get later into the week and start looking at their defense, but the matchup. Look, if the Patriots want to reestablish themselves as the best defense in football after what happened last week, this is going to be a tough test. And if they pass it, which obviously they can, it would be huge. So I'll have more on them probably into the new year. Probably not going to have a show out on Wednesday. Have a great new year, everybody. Stay safe. Remember, New Year's Eve, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Be smart, hydrate, all those good things. We'll talk again in 2020. Until then, friends, have a fantastic new year. I wish you all the best in the year ahead. And please do keep blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxwood.